Uh, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you guys this morning. And uh, as always, it's an honor for me to be able to share the word of God with you. We're in a series in the book of Mark. And today we're going to be taking a look at chapter 14, verses 1 to 11. And we've titled this message, Extravagant Worship. So we're going to read the scripture, and then we're going to pray and see what the Lord wants to say to us, all right? Verse 1 says, It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was uh, reclining on the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was, the oil, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And I, truly say, and I truly say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. As you join me in prayer, Lord, we come before you to thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you are the creator of everything, the God that sustains all things, and you desire to reveal yourself to us. And you have given us your word, Lord. As we hear your word today, Lord, we pray that we may hear your word, we may understand your word, we may receive your word, that we may believe your word. And that we may live your word, Lord. Encourage us. Con, uh, uh, encourage us. Give us direction. Challenge us through your word. Strengthen us. And give us life through your word. Help us to look at our lives. As something that belongs to you, Lord. We are not our own. And help us to surrender and to live a life. Of obedience and reckless abandon to you. Giving everything that we are to you. Speak to us, Lord. We ask you this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so the big idea is Jesus is worthy of worship. Those who recognize his worth will offer extravagant sacrifices of love, devotion, and adoration. The word extravagant means lacking restraint in spending more money or using resources. It means exceeding what is reasonable or appropriate and absurd. Sounds like a, good th a bad thing in some people's eyes. But the word extravagant is something about giving more than we have to. Giving everything, which is basically what Jesus asked for, right? He wants everything from us, amen? So, again, the big idea, Jesus is worthy of worship. Those who recognize his worth will offer extravagant sacrifices of love, devotion, and adoration. Um, I like watching TV shows. 
Uh, sometimes our family just gather around the TV and we just watch some TV shows. And I've noticed as I watch TV shows, there are two types of shows. There's one type of show that you can watch it and you can miss several episodes and you can watch that show and you miss several episodes and you can watch it and it's fine. You know the characters a little bit, but every single show has its own theme. But I prefer the shows that have like this running theme that if you miss a show, you're going to have to go back and watch it. If you didn't watch it from the beginning, then you're going to have to go back and watch it. And the reason why, it just it has a running theme and it tells this big story. But at the same time, every single episode has this mini theme that sort of feeds the big story. And when we read Bible narrative, this is what it's like. When we read Bible stories, which is a lot of the Old Testament and the Gospels and the book of Acts, we are able to jump into the story but understand that there's a bigger story that's going on. You guys understand what I mean? Today in, in, the, in, the, in the, the text, we see a beautiful story. We see a woman that saw Jesus as valuable, and she desired to give everything to him. But in the bigger story, in the book of Mark, we see that Mark is a, it's a, the shortest gospel out of them. He sort of sped through the, the beginning, but now he starts to slow down to the last couple of, uh, the last week, or the la- before this a little bit, the last couple of weeks of Jesus' life. And we start to see that there's a story. We're starting to see the timeline come unfold. And we all know what happens. You know, Jesus gets, uh, he dies and resurrects. Um, but anyway, as we jump into the story, uh, Mark uses this technique when he tells story. And it's what a lot of theologians call and sandwiches. So he tells a story. He interrupts the story with another story. And then he finishes the story. And this story seems unrelated. But when we analyze it, we see that the story's there to bring greater understanding and sometimes to bring contrast, all right? And this is, the way, well, this is what Mark does here. He's bringing a contrast of three people or people groups. One of them is the heart of the religious leaders that saw Jesus as a threat. Then he also shows the heart of this woman that saw Jesus as worthy. And then he shows us the heart of Judas who sold out Jesus who saw Jesus as functional. He was with him for a little while, but as soon as he stopped getting what he wanted for him, he was trying to move on to something that he thought was better. So let's get back. Let's go back into the story. Verse one, uh, the religious leaders saw Jesus as a threat. It was now two days before the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. As we talked about, there's a larger story going on, and these two verses sort of gives us the backdrop for it. Early in his ministry, Jesus was hidden a little bit. It was a little more, it was a little more obscure. But as time went by, people started to know who he was. Jesus also started to be more open about who he was, and he was starting to tell people, hey, I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. And what, that started, what, that ha- what happened after that was that people started getting more angry at him. The religious leaders were starting to have, he was starting to have more opposition and, and, and fighting uh, against him. So now we come to the time of the Passover, and this is uh, the Passover. I mean, you guys probably know the story, but in Egypt, uh, God's people were slaves, and God sent plagues against Egypt. The last one was that the first son of every household was going was to die. And Jesus told them to sacrifice a lamb, take the blood of the lamb, put on their door, doorpost, and the, the angel of death would pass over the houses that had the blood on the doorpost. 
So in, this, in a sense, what they're celebrating is the freedom that they received when God took them by his mighty hand, took them out of the, 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 the slavery from Egypt. So if you think about it, they're celebrating freedom during a time where they're still slaves to the Romans. I mean, it's a different type of slavery, but they were still under bondage to the Romans. So th- during this time, uh, there was a stirring up in the people. We're over here. This is one of our greatest feasts. People came from all over the known world there. All the Jews came to Jerusalem. And uh, Josephus said that there might have been about 2 million Jews there at the time. So there are a lot of people there. People are starting to see this guy, Jesus, and they're starting to hope maybe this is the Messiah. They believe, they believe he was going to be a political figure to come and to take them uh, uh, out of the bondage of the Romans. So there was a stirring up. Jerusalem was a powder keg at the time. So the religious leaders, they were afraid. They said, we need to kill this guy, but we need to do it in a, in, with stealth. We need to be sneaky because we don't want to cause an uproar. So that, that was what was going on at the time. And uh, now they were seeking to arrest him. They, they saw him as a threat. The religious leaders saw him as a threat. They saw him as a threat to their power, a threat to their influence, their authority, their wealth, their status, and their comfort. Jesus challenged them. He challenged them with, it, with his teachings. He challenged their religion and the way they thought they were to live uh, a life according to God's ways. We, and he, they found themselves losing power over their people. So they were going desperate. It really, uh, the big thing was when, Laz- when Jesus uh, uh, resuscitated Lazarus. It was like, oh, man, people were starting to say, wow, this guy is powerful. They saw a guy come to life just by him calling him forth. So that's when they really, uh, things were really starting to, to get stirred up there. And, and, it, it, and when we look at this attitude of seeing Jesus as a threat, this is not only for people outside. Sometimes even believers can see Jesus as a threat. We can see Jesus as a threat to our comfort, our threat a threat to our sin. I mean, it's okay. I mean, some people are okay with coming in here once a week. And I'm saying not necessarily here. I'm talking about the body of Christ. Singing, mouthing a couple of songs down on the screen. Hearing a guy speak for a little while and leaving and not really thinking about God or caring about what God says until they come back. And they live a comfortable life and they think they're okay with God. They might avoid uh, fellowship. They might avoid anything that might challenge and burst their bubble where they are. But we know that that's not what God has for us. How we see God determines how we respond to him. If we see him as a threat, we're going to push things away that start to try to come and to challenge our relationship with God. And the truth is that all of us get comfortable sometimes, and we all need to be challenged. Amen? We all need to be challenged, but sometimes we avoid that challenge. But when we avoid challenges... We see Jesus as a threat. He's a threat to our idols. He is a threat. He's a threat to our comfort. And what we need to do is to really embrace Jesus and trust him and surrender to him. Because we don't want to be like those religious uh, leaders were. We want to be able to embrace God. So we see that the woman saw Jesus as worthy. Verse 3 says, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. So they were at a dinner table at a guy named Simon the leper. I mean, I'm assuming that he's an ex-leper because if he was a leper, he wouldn't be around people. 
But the assumption is that Jesus may have healed this guy, and he was having the celebration party now that Jesus was in town to come to celebrate him. And this woman in the book of Mark, Mark just calls her a woman. She's an unknown woman. But in the book of John, John tells us that this woman is Mary. Is Mary the sister of Lazarus, Mary the sister of Martha. We've heard of her before. Um, there was no reason for Mark to mention her because he didn't mention her before. So now uh, John had mentioned her, so now we know who she is. So Mary comes to this party. She brings, brings a flask, an alabaster flask. And alabaster is basically a, a soft stone that was used to, in, to, to hold perfume. And she breaks this jar and she pours this perfume all over Jesus' head. And in the book of John, it says that she also anoints his feet and that she wipes his feet with her hair. And this was, uh, this was, uh, this was a very expensive perfume. And she chose to give all of it, not some of it. She wasn't taking a couple of drops, but she poured the whole thing. And this uh, perfume is uh, nard. It comes from a, from a plant in the Himalayan mountains in India. So it was very rare and very expensive. And later on, uh, the, the disciples say that it was worth about 300 denarii, which is equivalent to a year's salary for the average man. I looked up the average salary in the United States. is 51480 bucks. So basically, within our context, she was pouring out a perfume that cost $52,000. So she didn't stop at the local Bath and Body Works and get the three for 16 sale. <laughs> she poured out something that was very expensive, very precious. Uh, most, most historians believe that this was a family heirloom. And that she was holding it, and, and she could have been holding it maybe as a dowry to pay for when she got married. Or she was just holding it as sort of insurance, as a single woman, insurance that she would be provided for, that if something, you know, hit the fan, then she would be able to, to be, be able to provide for herself. So when she gave this and offered this all to Jesus, she wasn't only making this uh, um, sacrifice for now. She was giving him her whole life. She was giving him her security. Everything that she had, this is, uh, she basically emptied out her 401k and poured it at Jesus' head, you know? She gave everything that she was, and, and this was inspired. This seems to be premeditated. Um, I don't think she just, like, you know, grabbed it on the way there or, like, like I said. It looks like there was something that was going on in her mind and in her heart when she was thinking about Jesus. She was thinking about how amazing he is. She was thinking about how loving he is. She's thinking about the fact that he saved her from her sin. She was thinking about that he, that he gave life to her dead brother. She was thinking about everything that Jesus has done. She was thinking about who he was. And she said, I am going to offer everything I have, everything I am to Jesus. It wasn't an emotional thing that she regretted. It was premeditated because... I mean, obviously, she doesn't carry around $52,000 a bottle of perfume with her every day. Amen? So um, she was thinking about who he was. She was thinking about that he's the Messiah, that he's the anointed one, that he is the king, the holy one, the healer, the deliverer, all these things. And she declared in her heart that Jesus was worthy, that he was worthy, worthy of everything. He is worth her giving everything that she had for. Yes, this was extreme. Yes, this was expensive. Yes, it was dramatic. And John even says that the fragrance filled the whole 
house. She broke the vessel, poured it out. She had no plans of taking it back in and putting it in the broken bottle. She had no plans of, of asking for it back. She was giving everything. And this was reckless abandon to God. She was abandoning all that she was in obedience to Jesus because she trusted him with the consequences. And just a side note, let's obey Jesus and trust him with the consequences. God is good and his ways are perfect. So let's live a life like that. She saw Jesus as glorious. She saw Jesus as beautiful. And she saw Jesus as worthy. Jesus was her treasure and her heart followed after it. Just like the widow who gave those two mites, and that was all she had, this woman gave all she had. And isn't this what worship is? Now, the, the word worship comes from the, from the, the uh, old English word. That is, I don't know how to pronounce it, but I think it's we earth sipe. <laughs> and it means to ascribe worth, to ascribe value to something. So wor- we worship what's most precious to us. We worship what's most valuable to us. The way I like to say it, and anybody from the worship team hears me say this a lot, is that there's a throne on our hearts, and there's something that sits on it. There's the thing that we value most is what sits on our hearts, and we want that to be Jesus. Amen? She brought her best. She didn't just bring what was convenient. She gave everything, and she sacrificed. She gave. She lost something to give to Jesus. And if you look at uh, worship in the Old Testament, it was a sacrifice. They used to come and they used to bring uh, bulls, rams, and other animals to sacrifice. But they didn't come. They said, you know what? That bull has three legs. I'm going to sacrifice that one. No. <laughs> they didn't say, oh, that lamb has one eye. No. They gave their best. They gave their best. They gave their best. And this translates into our lives of worship. And there's a challenge to us. Do we give our best or do we give what's convenient? Do we give what's easy? They sacrificed. And like I said, there's, there's a throne in our hearts and there's something that sits there. And whatever sits on the throne of our hearts, we are, worthy, we are willing to make sacrifices for. If money is your God, then you are willing to sacrifice your family. You're willing to sacrifice uh, your morals to get money. If power is your God, you're willing to use money. You're willing to use people to get power. But if Jesus is your God, then you are willing to sacrifice everything for Jesus. This uh, animals will come and sacrifice on this altar, and they were brought to Jesus and sacrificed, or they were brought to God and sacrificed for God. And they came out of there losing something. In the Old Testament in worship, you came out losing something. And it's the same thing with us. We lose ourselves, but we gain Jesus. So with this consumer church that we have in America, sometimes that's hard. We don't want to do anything that's incon- that inconveniences us. We don't want to uh, give anything that, that, that's, a, that's a challenge to us. But I, I ask you, when's the last time you gave Jesus something that cost you something? When's the last time you did something for Jesus that was a sacrifice for you? And I'm not saying that we do this like it, this. This should be something that happens, that we're stirred up from the inside out. I'm not saying just doing things for no reason. 
This should be something as we see Jesus as valuable and worthy. This causes us to be able to make sacrifices for Jesus. Jesus wants our lives. He wants all of it. And we are to trust him with the consequences. She, she trusted him with her life. She took the ultimate trust fall, right, like the teenagers do. And she trusted Jesus with her life. She gave everything that she had, and she lived completely for him. She gave her best. So, I, like, again, I challenge you. When was the last time you did something for Jesus that costed you? Costed time, maybe? Energy? Money? Whatever it was. So there were also people uh, that were there and saw that they saw that her sacrifice was a waste. Verse 4 says, There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was this ointment wasted like that? For the ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. Matthew says in his account of this story, that it was the disciples that said it. But John tells us that Judas was the ringleader. The disciples began to, began to murder. <clears throat> and the word indignant means angry and vexed. And the, term, well, the word scolded her here in the Hebrew, it, it means the flaring of the nostrils. And it's sort of it's the, the idea of, a, of an angry bull. <clears throat> I don't know if that was good, but never see me do it again, by the way. But anyway, they were snorting after her. They were angry. It wasn't just like, what did they were? They were really upset that she did this. Maybe they were upset because they themselves were poor. And they were thinking about what they could have done with the money because the disciples were poor. Jesus was poor. <clears throat> and uh, so, so the followers of Jesus were the ones that were complaining about this woman's devotion. And maybe they shouldn't have been encouraged by it. Maybe they should have been encouraged to do something more for him. But we should never, um, we would never expect for the followers of Jesus to be able to, to be uh, disappointed at someone uh, giving something to Christ. They should have been challenged in their devotion to him. And just like us, as we hear this woman's story, we should be challenged and inspired by her devotion to Christ. These people were self-righteous. And when we're self-righteous, we start thinking that our ways are better than Jesus's. Jesus was saying that this was a good thing, but they thought that they can do something better with it. So, but these comments that they made, it was a disguise to their own hearts, their own selfishness. You know, uh, like I said, maybe they wanted more because they were, they, maybe they wanted that money because they were poor. But the woman challenged them. Uh, because she was so passionately devoted to Christ. And unfortunately, I've heard stories of, I mean, one of the best parts about having new believers around you is this, this flesh, fresh blood, right? And we see their passion. We see uh, when they come to Christ, and, and, and we can be inspired by that. But sometimes I've heard stories of people telling them, eh, don't worry about it, you'll calm down one day soon. You'll, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll be like, just like the rest of us. And that's the disappointing we are challenged when we some see someone passionate about christ and this true i mean sometimes we start thinking to ourselves man they're doing too much and that's more reflection of our heart than it is theirs let us be inspired and if we want new blood around us guys let's go and share the gospel that one's free has nothing to do with this but it's not there but um yeah so this is what we want uh jc ryle he said the spirit of these narrow-minded fault finders 
is unhappily only too common. Their followers and successors are to be found in every part of Christ's visible church. There is never wanting a generation of people who decry what they call extremes in religion and are incessant, incessantly uh, recommending what they term moderation in the service of Christ. If a man devotes his time, money, and affections to the pursuit of worldly things, they do not blame him. If he gives himself up to the service of money, pleasure, or politics, they find no fault. But in the same, if the same man devotes himself and all he has to to Christ, they can scarcely find words to express their sense of his folly. He is beside himself. He is out of his mind. He is a fanatic. He is an enthusiast. He is righteous overmuch. He is an extreme man. In short, they regard it as waste. Um, I remember, uh, so my, my wife and I left New York to go to a school named Christ for the Nations, and one of their focuses is on missions. And we weren't sure what God was going to do in our life, and I remember just sharing with some people, and some people would be like, well, why do you want to do that? You know that it's dangerous? We're like, yeah, but if God calls us to, we're going to do it. But how about if you have a family? Are you going to take your kids? And we're like, yeah. And I'm, I'm saying these are believers that were, that were telling us this. And I was, I was kind of shocked. And, and I'll be honest, I mean, you know, we're, 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 uh, we're, 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 <laughs> we're fostering a baby and adopting, as you guys know. And I've had people tell us, why would you do that? Don't you know that that, like, you can get hurt? Why would you do that? How about they take them away? I mean, I, you know, and, and that, and I, it, it, I mean, I'm not angry at them, but it's like it's something that God has put in our heart. This is part of our offering to him to take care of a baby. And, it, yeah, it's, it's, it was just uh, shocking. Not discouraging or anything, but just shocking. But anyway, so this happens sometimes. Even within the body of Christ, we have people that discourage people from giving their all to Christ because they are threatened. And maybe sometimes even jealous. We look, and I'm a person, my favorite word if you talk to me is balance. But I also understand that there is no balance when it comes to devotion to Jesus. So this challenges me. As I think of my favorite words, balance, moderation, and a lot of things. But I cannot live a life of balance when it comes to Jesus. It's all or nothing. I got to learn to give everything. I gotta, I, I'm very thoughtful and calculated. Um, I'm not saying that, you, that, you're, um, you know, that we're totally you know, wasting things and making foolish decisions. But when it comes to something to give Jesus your all... We need to stop being calculated and moderate and give him everything that he's worthy of. So this is the challenge for me that I received that I was preparing this message. The life of serving Jesus is very extreme. It's very challenging. And for us, the more responsibility we have with family and houses and money and this, it makes it harder. It was easier when we were young, right? It was easier for those of us that started serving God at a young age. It was easier but the more responsibilities we have, then sometimes it gets harder. But there is a way to live for Jesus and still be responsible for the people you have to take care of. But um, like I said, we, we, uh, we tend to hold back a little bit too much and other things start to crowd our hearts when Jesus needs to sit on that throne. Uh, C.T. Studd said, if Jesus Christ be God, 
and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. C.T. Studd was a professional cricket player, and he was rich. His father was rich, and he had a lot of money. And he gave all of that up to go into the mission field. I forgot what country he went into, but to go minister to cannibals. And everybody told him, you're crazy. What are you doing? And you know what he did? He even, uh, I don't know how much 100 pounds is, I think maybe a million dollars. He left, he held on to that, to his wife, to give it to her. And she got upset at him. She's like, no, you're living extreme for Christ. I want to give that all to William Booth, the one that started uh, Salvation Army. He had all that, he had so much, and he was willing to give it all for the sake of the cause, for the sake of Christ, to go and to be a missionary, all right? So I'm not saying that's what God is calling you for, but let us be sensitive to what God is calling us for. Let us look to see what God wants from us and not just reject it just because it doesn't fit our schedule, because it doesn't fit our budget, because it doesn't fit our lives. Jesus saw her sacrifice as beautiful. Verse 6, it says, But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Jesus said what she has done is beautiful. She was blessed by her expression of worship. She was rebuked by the, critic, by the critics, but she was honored by Jesus. Jesus received her worship. While other people missed the beauty and the worth of Jesus, this woman found him as her treasure. And she was willing to pour out an expression of worship, an expression of extravagant worship. Jesus saw her heart. It wasn't merely an external expression. It was something that came from her heart, a heart where Jesus sat on the throne. And it was, and, and it's, it was her heart stirred her into doing something that was, that was very extravagant, and it was a genuine expression of affection to Jesus. So I have a, as a worship leader, I have people ask me all the time, do I have to worship like that? Do I have to lift up my hands? Do I have to sing with passion? Do I have to rejoice? And uh, I, I, what I point them to is the Bible. I mean, if we read the book of Psalms, biggest book in the Bible is all a bunch of Psalms. And if we read the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms teaches about expression of worship. Now, that's challenging for some of us. The Bible teaches us how to worship. We use the Bible to teach us to do everything else, but then when it teaches us how to worship, then that makes us uncomfortable. So, so I always point them to the Word of God, and then I always ask them, I think you should ask yourself in your heart, why don't you? I'm not saying you have to, but why don't you? Is it because you're uncomfortable? Is it because maybe the church culture you grew up with didn't do that? And if the Bible teaches us to do these things, then are those excuses good enough? Just a challenge. If you know that the heart of Jesus is touched by extravagant worship, then why not? If he is touched by our expression, not merely our expression, but a heart of worship, that starts from the inside out where we engage God with our minds, with our hearts, 
and our bodies, then why not? If Jesus is worth pouring $52,000 of <laughs> perfume, then he is worth us having our worship, um, uh, expressing our worship to him. Um, I was speaking to someone the other day, and they were saying that in their church, in their old church, they were taught that they shouldn't sing too loudly. They shouldn't have extreme arm expressions because if you do this, you're making a spectacle of yourself, and you're doing it to get attention for yourself. And I, I, I was just wondering, I wonder what they do with these verses. <laughs> this woman was not making a spectacle of herself. She was making a spectacle of Jesus. And I believe when we express expressionate worship to Jesus, we are lifting him up. We're not, making, uh, we're not, we're not doing it for our own uh, attention, but we're bringing more attention to God. And I'm not talking about stuff that disrupts other people's worship. You know, we, there, there's, you know, there's logic there, too. I'm talking about a heart that expresses worship to God. Verse 9, it says, And truly I say to you, whenever the, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. She is a great example for us and a story that has been told throughout the history of the church. And even today, what Jesus said is being fulfilled. We're talking about this woman, her extravagant expression of worship, and we're talking about her heart. So in verse 8, it says, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Um, does this mean that she knew exactly what she was doing? We don't know that. The Bible doesn't say. But it's possible that this woman that was always at Jesus' feet listening to him was able to hear something that not even the, the disciples were able to understand. Maybe they couldn't grasp it. You know, and when Jesus started talking about his death and, and all this, they used it as an opportunity to try jockeying for, for, for position instead of to worship him. So it's possible that she, maybe she knew something, maybe she knew a little bit, we really don't know. But we knew, we know that in the, the, in the Bible, when the Bible talks about Mary, it talks about her being at Jesus' feet while Mar Martha was upset because she was serving and she wasn't helping her. It talks about, you know, people misunderstanding her at Lazarus' Lazarus's death when everybody was coming out she stayed back and when she heard the master she came out and they thought she was going to the tomb but she was going to see Jesus and now we see her again at Jesus's feet worshiping him being close to him maybe the hardened heart just missed something that she didn't and jumping back to verse 7 sorry I don't have it up there it says for you always have the poor with you and whenever you want you can do for them you can do for them but you but you will not always have me. Um, some people have actually attempted to use this verse to say that we don't have to give to the poor. Um, and then you have people on the other side that say that the purpose of the church is to take care of the poor. But I think that the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. But the first part is to love the Lord, so that comes first. But... Jesus tells us that we are to care for the poor. Actually, Jesus here is re referring back to Deuteronomy 15, verse 7. It says, if among you one of your brothers should become poor, if any of your t in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart or shut up your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need. <clears throat> 
whatever it be. You shall give him freely, and your heart shall not be grudgingly when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all, in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. Yikes. There's always going to be an opportunity to give to the poor because the poor will always be with us. But here, Jesus is establishing that devotion to him is more important than devotion to people. But at the same time, he's also establishing that, that we are to care for people. He doesn't give any stipulations on who to take care. He says to take care of the poor. So I think uh, this, the Bible challenges both extremes of political stances in the United States here. And I'll leave that here. I'm going to get into a bump. But this challenges. Jesus calls us to care for the poor. We always have the poor just the same way that we will always have sinners. So does it mean that we don't preach the gospel because they're always sinners? In the same way, we don't stop giving to the poor because they're always there. Amen? And Judas saw Jesus as functional. When Judas, is, uh, 10 says, when Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, went to the chief priests in order to betray them, and when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought for an opportunity to betray him. This is the other bread of the sandwich. The first bread of the sandwich was that the, they wanted to arrest and kill Jesus. The story was interrupted with this woman's sacrifice. This is the other bread of the sandwich now. And it's meant to bring contrast between the heart of the religious leaders and Judas. The religious leaders found him as a threat. Judas found him as useful. And this woman found him as worthy. So this, th- this, con- this contrast is between what, w- what is Jesus worth to you? For Judas, Jesus was worth 30 pieces of silver. For this woman, Jesus was worth everything. It seems like Judas at this time, I don't know if he was just got afraid when everything was being stirred up. Maybe he thought his heart was sincere in the beginning until trouble came. Or maybe he just got, somehow Mark seems to suggest that the situation with the woman was one of the things that sort of stirred up Judas to go and to sell out Jesus. Was he upset because he saw the money wasteful? John says that Judas was a thief. And the reason why he didn't like that they'll give him to the poor or whatever, it was that he, was, he wanted to take money. He wanted money for himself. Maybe he saw that, I'm not going to get rich with this Jesus guy anymore. Either way, he saw that Jesus was not worth anything anymore. He was not, the 30 pieces of silver was more valuable to him than Jesus was at the moment. And I try to look up how much 30 pieces of silver were. That was like a lot, a wide uh, thing, but it seemed to be around maybe about, about, about 200 bucks. This woman gave $52,000. Judas sold him out for 200 bucks. Judas did not find Jesus glorious. He did not find him beautiful, and he did not find him worthy. One of the 12 that traveled with him that saw all the miracles that Jesus did, had a personal relationship with him, and he still did not find beauty in Jesus. He saw Jesus as functional, as useful, 
As long as Jesus was helping him get whatever he wanted, Jesus was worth it. But when he stopped getting whatever he wanted, then Jesus was was dispensable. Maybe he thought that Jesus was the Messiah that was going to come and to, uh, uh, not, or the, uh, like a political Messiah that was going to come and to take him out of the rule of, of Rome. And they started to see, man, this is not the guy. Just like a lot of people did at this time. When they saw that this is not what Jesus was doing, they started to leave him. Judas, Judas did not give, use his gifts to serve Jesus. He used his gifts to serve Judas. Judas did not give his life to serve Jesus. He gave his life to serve Judas. So he saw Jesus as useful. And sometimes we can be the same way. As long as everything is good and comfortable, we're good. But when troubles come, we start looking to something else. Something that we see more valuable. So are are we willing to sell out Jesus? Are we willing to sell out Jesus for money? Are we willing to sell out Jesus for a relationship that's not from God? Are we willing to sell out Jesus for a moment of pleasure? What are we willing to sell out Jesus for? Yes, Jesus is a gifter, but we, that, the, receiving his gifts is supposed to stir us up to worship the one that gives the gifts. So you got to ask yourself, do you see Jesus as beautiful? Do you see his goodness? Do you see his power? Do you see his glory? Mary was an example of wholehearted devotion to Jesus because she saw him as worthy. When you truly know God, you understand that there is really no sacrifice that you can give that that's equal to the sacrifice that he gave for you. Either way, we end up winning because Jesus gave more than we can ever give to him. But do we give, do we serve when it's convenient? Do we do it out of guilt? Do we pay our monthly dues here at church by saying, oh, I, I did what I had to do and that's it. I'm not willing to give Jesus anything else. Are we willing to give our time for others that need time? Because Jesus said, whatever we do to the, on, to, for the, to the littlest of these, we do unto him. Do we serve people? Do we give people? When people are in need, are we there for them? Are we Jesus' hands and feet? Do we share the gospel with people? This is all ways that we serve Jesus and worship Jesus by a life that's dedicated to him. In chapter 8, Jesus said that whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So we have to ask ourselves, what is Jesus worth to us? The Bible says where your treasure is, your heart will be also. The thing that we find most valuable your heart and your affections are there. And I know sometimes, you know, we sing some songs, you know, have my heart. And I think some people don't. But we, we're, we're, our perception of love and our hearts are a little bit skewed by society. It's not necessarily this uh, heart. You know, the heart and love is something that's real. It's about, it's about sacrifice. Like the sacrifice of Jesus. His love was shown on the cross. It was gritty. It was grimy. And our love is the same way. What God is after is our affection. No matter, how you, no matter how you put it, God is after for us to love him. And love is a word of sacrifice. Love is a word of value. Love means that we put him before us, before our own comfort. So this is what Jesus is looking for. 
every act of devotion, love, and sacrifice that we do for Jesus cannot be compared to what he did for us. But at the same time, Jesus sees everything that we do for him, even when nobody else does. Jesus sees when you hold back yourself from being tempted because you say, I love Jesus more than that sin. Jesus sees when you give someone that nobody else knows. Jesus sees when you're a good husband to your wife or wife to your husband. Jesus sees when you're a good child to your parent. Jesus sees when you're a good parent to your children. Jesus sees when we love one another. And this is the way that we live a life of sacrifice for him. But how much are we willing to give to him? He gives us extravagantly, and he calls us to give him extravagantly also. Jesus sees everything. And um, as we get into application points, I'm just going to ask Keith to come up. I know... uh, I know I was challenged by preparing this message. And I know that sometimes we shy away from challenges, whether they're from people that love us or from the word of God itself. But I pray that we are challenged, not not that we feel like trash because we see things that we're not doing for God, but that we are inspired to give more and more to Christ because he's worthy of it. Amen. So application points, and a lot of these are are reflective. Ask yourself, do I see Jesus as a threat where I push him away because I don't want to feel the challenge? Do I see Jesus as functional that as long as he's giving me what I want, him and I are cool? But when he doesn't, then I'm going to go somewhere else to try to find something else to satisfy me. Or do we really see Jesus as worthy, worthy of us giving our whole lives to him? If we see him as a threat or as, a, as functional, I invite you to repent before the Lord. Go before him and just confess your sin and ask him to open up your eyes to see him for how beautiful and amazing and glorious he really is. And the second one, ask yourself, when was the last time that you did something for Jesus that really cost you something? When was the last time do you, only, do you only do things out of convenience for God? And the, last, and the last one is make a commitment to one thing you can do weekly that is sacrificial for Jesus. Maybe it's making a commitment to spend time with him or more time with him that you haven't before in the past. Maybe it's, it's to give, even financially. Maybe it's to reach out to your brothers here at church and just check up how they're doing, see if, they, if there's anything that, you, that they need prayer for. Or maybe it's a way to serve here at the church even more. And I invite you, um, I know a lot of times our response songs is a more like contemplative and this one isn't. This is one of expression. This is one of giving Jesus your life. So I know we usually sit during com- current, uh, response songs, but I'm going to ask you all to stand and let's, let's worship the Lord together this morning.